0: We think of a a company as a tribe, and the word company comes from the Latin compagna, which means to eat bread together. So just think about that. So companion and company come from the same idea of a tribe that works together.
1: You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change.
2: Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to -to Go-To-Market Disrupted. Today, I have a special colleague with me, Wayne Cirillo. Wayne is the founder and CPO, which actually stands for Chief Prospect Officer of B2P Partners which is a consultancy that equips B2B marketers with the power of knowing why and how their prospects buy or don't. Wayne has worked with an impressive list of clients, including Cisco, IBM, Microsoft, Visa. But more recently, Wayne has shifted his focus, I think because of his interest, into working with very fast-growing SaaS companies. Wayne is the author of two books about buyer behavior and go-to-market practices. The first book, Repossibilities: is a story of companies that succeeded because of their challenges, not despite them. And the other book, Personas with Punch, are true stories of six personas that made a difference for marketers, their companies, and the bottom line. I'm really pleased to have Wayne with me today. Wayne, welcome, and thank you for
0: joining. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be interviewed by somebody whose last name is smart. It's... Something to which I could only aspire. So, and
2: this is audio only, thinking. so nobody will know that I'm blushing. That's so nice for you to say that. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. Well, you, know what I really would like. I gave you that intro, that brief bio, but it would really be helpful for our listeners. And I'm just curious as well. Share a little bit about your background, the trajectory you used and took to get to where you are today. I, I think it's probably an interesting story people would like to hear.
0: Well. Trajectory is uh, certainly a concept that I never would have applied to it, having lived through it myself. But I guess I'd say maybe the key thing about what wires me and, you know, maybe for anyone else who's who's potentially interested in the space of what we'll call marketing strategy, whatever that means is is that i've always been motivated by understanding how and why people do something and particularly in the b2b space and i come from also a b2c land as well so i've i started out as a you know traditional marketer and so i have the blessing and bane of a of a real marketing background worked on madison avenue at a certain point by the way today is the day that the last agency is leaving madison avenue so We'll all shed a tear and move on. I've always been interested in the process of decision-making and understanding that. So I'm kind of a business anthropologist. And the work that we do is to understand the process that companies go through because companies don't buy things, only people do. So when I say company, I mean the poor group of folks who have been assigned to a task force to decide how to fix this new problem that is on top of all the other problems that they have. So that's the context for a B2B decision. And then we we get to work with a lot of the companies that are changing the way business is done, the way life is lived. So yes, I did start out working with a lot of the, the large names that we know, but I've found actually more energy and passion in let's say mid-tier B2B SaaS companies that are actually innovating with new ways of doing business, which is a very cool prospect. On the other hand, have you ever tried to get your family to do things in a new way? Um, yes, it's, it's,
2: it doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, You're doing better than me. Yeah. So uh, it, being it's very hard right here. <laughs> to change. It's very yeah. hard to change. And so so what I view myself and, our, and B2P as is a is a cross-cultural communicator. So what we're doing is we're crossing the divide or the membrane between your organization, which is, uh, let's say, a B2B SaaS company that's focused on how to make the world better one technology at a time, and then the folks who are just trying to like keep the wheels on and keep running a, a company and like It's not perfect, but it's working, it's not completely broken yet, and help them to improve business without killing themselves in the process of doing it. It's very human, it's very tribal, it's very connected. It's very surprising if you are a B2B technology vendor, and you're just looking at how can we get more people to buy the amazing thing we've just created. You, you know, you hit on something that just
2: connected. And there's two things you said that I want to unpack a little bit. The first thing you said that I thought was intriguing was you view yourself as an anthropologist, which is a far cry away from the thinking that a, a classic marketer, especially someone that comes from the sort of traditional background that you speak of, advertising, massive campaigns, Madison Avenue, right? That's about speaking out and speaking often. And exactly. It's a blast. <laughs> The anthropologist is someone who's doing what I'll call forensics. They're digging. They're digging. They don't speak until they get down to the bottom of what they've discovered, and then they talk. And in the process, and I have share, share some of your, your, your trajectory, I'll use that term again, because I've worked with some of the larger companies that, that, that you also have some experience with or like that. And I have found that as I've my business is matured my practice is mature I prefer to work with these companies that are smaller for the very same emotional reasons exactly but one of the things that I think you hit on which you didn't out you didn't say out loud but it's almost subtle is the point of view that you have has shifted right you're 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 not thinking the same way you did on Madison Avenue and the two books that you created and written sort of, lay that foundation for that. The the first one I think is really interesting is the the personas with punch, which when you wrote it, I think personas were at a different place than they are today. And I'm curious to get your perspective on when you think about those books, it's about a perspective shift, especially personas. What do you say to someone who's just starting out on this marketing career, this product marketer's career about the value of those books and what they bring. I have a bias and I like the way those books are written and the style, but I'd be curious to get, well, let's get your bias, get your, I mean, I'm curious about your thinking and what some of the things that we're thinking and what you intended to do when you when you originally designed and, and wrote those books.
0: Thanks, Mike. So I, I hear two questions and I'm gonna start with the one that was kind of underneath and then the, the one that's on top. So you mentioned product marketers. Product marketers, in my opinion, are the change makers in the marketing evolution and are the the place where interesting marketing, strategic marketing has kind of evolved in the today's modern B2B organization. It's unfortunately, you know, it's one of those things where marketer, heal thyself, product marketing, seriously, that that's the best we can do. Yeah, I'll move on. But for the folks who are who are in that place. I would say, and I'm just reflecting back what our product marketing clients have told us, it is, as our friends might say, it is the best of places. It is the worst of places. So if you have nothing to bring, then it is a horrible job where you are in the center and being pulled in every direction Mm -hmm. and you become very good at PowerPoint. And that's because you are creating PowerPoints for other people. So if someone who's starting out, I know a a lot of folks are in that job and my, I would love them to be able to tap the ability that B2P has organized around, you know, business to prospect to help them turn that into the best of all jobs, which is you now then become the voice of the prospect the voice of the customer into the organization and the fulcrum from which all other change occurs now. So to the other part of your question so what's the role of personas? Personas similarly have gone through an evolution over the last let's say dozen or so years. We were one of the very first people to to use personas and in fact we were the people who did the personas behind before the Buyer Persona Institute was created. We did all of that work for the the founder. And we we were always perplexed by the easy ability that a marketer had to put a bunch of stuff on a page, call it a persona and move on. And uh, we used to call those pizza personas because the, all you needed to do was buy a pizza bring a pizza into the room right put a bunch of people together <laughs> It's like so financial people what do we know about them they like money okay let's talk about how we help save money uh, and and they make up useless stuff like that so that's one of the challenges of personas and why we call it called it personas with punch is that most were punchless they had no point they had no purpose mm-hmm. they had no punch so um What we did was profile the stories of six clients with whom we worked, whose personas actually were based on insights that made a difference in their company. So we were looking to help product marketers succeed in bringing a fresh, real, authentic, difference-making perspective into the company. I'll tell you one brief story. Imagine, if you will, that you're working at one of those very large, well-known companies in the security space. And you are the uh, product manager in charge of version 11. So I have some good news and some bad news. Uh, The bad news is that, you know, your product's been out for 10 versions. Quite a while, yes. You're the 11th one. So, like, I'm not sure there's going to be a monument put up for you. The good news is, what's your job? Well, it's pretty darn obvious, sir. I'm going to show how our product is better than it used to be version 10. Like version 10 didn't have this, 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 and this. And you really need those things. So what I've just said and what I love about these stories is that what I've said so far is pretty darn obvious. It's also pretty darn wrong. So for some odd reason this very large company decided that they might want to get a voice of the prospect into this process to decide, like, well, let's just say, which of these four new features should we feature? And the answer was, oh God, none, Right? please, right. none. So by the way, this very large company was going to SMB and they were buying version 11. Now, from the buyer's perspective, you may have already intuited this because your listeners are so smart. They're saying, now, wait a minute, if I'm an SMB and I'm bringing in a really large company that is has a well-established reputation, first of all, whew, I don't have to worry about it. Secondly, I don't have to worry about it because, my God, it's version 11, people. Like, right. what do I not need to know? I don't need to know what makes version 11 better than version 10. I just need to know that you, big company, have already done it. What is my concern? My concern is that this big thing isn't going to like shut my SMB down because it's going to be such a heavy weight. <clears throat> so here's the end of my story. The more you talk about how your features are amazing and the next best thing that everybody needs, the more you are unselling me, the more you are reinforcing my fear about your product. So I'm sorry, what seemed obvious is now obviously wrong. So that's the power of a persona.
2: And there's something that tags back to what we were talking about earlier about the nature of forensics. It is the shift to POV, right? So one of, I've been one of those product managers working on not version 11, but version seven, same dynamic, and you become isolated and thinking that you're only talking to those people who have used this for the last six versions. And if that's the state of the product, that's fine. But if the intention is to go expand, we have to shift our point of view to those who have never tried it. And the only way to get there is through this activity you call being an anthropologist or doing the forensics, understand what do people care about who've never used this product before, therefore your your point. Question: I want to cycle back to because you said first of all, I want to acknowledge this. I did not know that you were part of the part of or the foundation of the Bioperson Institute. I did not know that. That is, I know those people well, and I didn't. I was not aware of that history. That's intriguing. We'll talk about that at another time.
1: Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more.
2: I'm curious to, to kind of fast forward and think about today, because personas are part of the lexicon, right? They're in the vocabulary. Everybody uses them or says they use them. What's the update, or if you will, yeah, the version 11 or the version 3 of personas today from your point of view, what you see in the among your clients, what you see in the marketplace? Where are we with what you have compared to five years ago, and what do we need to do next?
0: Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's a good question because um, selling is not the same as it used to be. And you know, go-to-market used to be a sales motion, and now it needs to be an integrated motion. And so I'd say one of the things that we're seeing and doing is we're making personas that are applicable for not only for marketing, but also for sales, and for customer success. So what we do at B2P is take what we call a full customer journey perspective. So we've identified eight stages during the entire cycle. And we look at what is needed in each of those from a buyer's perspective, because we have 20 years of buyer research um, behind us. And uh, so we've, we've, talked with your customers. We've talked with your prospect. We've talked with the customers that you wanted to win and didn't. We talked with the deals that kind of stalled and found out why. We've done you know 20 years of win-loss research, 20 years of buyer persona research, 20 years of buyer journey research. So if I were to cheat and say like, so what have we generally learned about how and why prospects buy? I'd say from, uh, in the terms of the persona, one is that you need to be able to translate the persona to each of your internal audiences. So a great marketing, a great persona depiction for marketing is a really bad one for sales. Absolutely. Because, right. well, marketers, your audience has changed. So what is sales looking for? Sales is looking for, can you translate all that great insight into the three opening lines that I want to have with these people that speak directly to their pain and do so in such a way that it doesn't that it isn't a what keeps you up at night question but is actually an insightful question that says I've already thought about who you are I've already been talking with folks in your position and here is one of the key points that I hear is a pain and this is the thinking that I know you guys are are considering concerning a strategy to solve that where are you in that? So we translate that into sales language. We translate it into customer success language, which is always an issue around what kind of value are we seeing in our stack where you are now one of, you know, 437 pieces in a small stack. Um, So we translate it is the first part of the answer to the question. The second thing is we also summarize it. So we use something that I delightfully call the KPI or the Key Prospect Insight. So it's the question that if you put a gun to my head and you ask me, what's the one thing I need to know to get this person on our side? If you were to summarize that into a sentence, it's what that is. So our Personas are very psychologically oriented. They're very environmentally oriented. What's the tribe within which this individual is operating? What is their role in it? And then it also needs to come down to like, so what are we going to do about this? So, And and I don't want to to
2: sound like I'm stating the obvious, but I do want to summarize because you've packed a lot in here. They are fit. Your personas go through phases or iterations because they're fit for use to the role of the internal person. Different mission and customer success versus sales. So one persona size does not fit all. Different position, different goal for marketing as opposed to sale. And so it's, I'm gonna use a metaphor or, or analogy that probably somebody will push back on, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyway. It's sort of like if I have a series of tools or weapons, we'll call them, it, I have to put the right ammunition in the right form of weapon that I'm using. So yeah. it's, it's it's sizing, it's sizing and and turning those things into useful tools for the job that needs to be done. That's the way I like to think of it. What job needs to be done? If I'm a marketing person, my job is very different. Therefore, I need different tooling,
0: different different ingredients to work with than if I'm in sales. And it is the same persona, Mike. So, yes, good, yes. good observation. It's just expressed in a way that's relevant to that audience. Yes. What do I yes. need to know about and this?
2: That's very subtle. But Mm -hmm. it's critical, I think, because we see so many instances where marketing creates personas and the entire rest of the organizations basically rejects them. They don't just gloss over Wayne. They actually spit them out and say, not real, not relevant. And part of it is the tooling and and a point of view. I don't know what this does for me to know that, Mark, is a snowboarder and likes to be at at snowbird in the spring and he skis at he skis at North Star in the winter. I mean if I'm in if I'm in customer success,
0: that's like that's meaningless to me. Unless you're a ski manufacturer. So yes, exactly. Right. We, exactly. we never get into <laughs> favorite color. We don't get into esoteric things. We do get into in-depth things. So one of them the interesting surprising, perhaps profound questions that we've asked is, when we're talking with a company's prospects, whether they have won the prospect, lost the prospect, or the prospect stalled, one of the questions we like to ask is, if you weren't in this current position, what other kind of job would you like to have? Okay, now that sounds like a totally asinine question. Like, How relevant is that? Here's what we do with that. If I say I'd rather be a mountain climber and we hear that sort of thing a lot from this persona, it gives us a sense of why is this person in this job now and what does success look like to them in a way that they are not otherwise able to name? If a person says that I'd rather- I also be think doctor, it gives you an insight into how they make decisions as well. Exactly, well said. Yep, exactly right. So if I were a salesperson and I knew that about somebody, would that be useful? Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So yes, that's why yes, we ask, uh, I, but we we never ask about favorite color or where do you like to ski? No, no, of course, or what? how big their
2: dog is. I have a couple of more questions. We talked a lot about go-to-market, and I like to tease this out because that's one of those big tent words that everybody uses and throws a lot of stuff in it, and I want to ask for, for the benefit of the listeners, and just to hear your thinking about it, what goes in that? I won't say what goes in the tent or rephrase that. What are the most important things that go in the go-to-market tent from your point of view, based on your business practice, based on your experience and the things that you see going on, and specifically in the B2B SaaS tech space? What are the most important things to put in that space?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And it is becoming a bigger question, Mike. So I really appreciate that you're focused on that. I'm going to not take on the whole thing, but I'm going to do I'm going to add what I think we can differentially add, because in some ways, go to market is essentially a way of summarizing what a company is. I mean, if you don't go to market, why do you exist? Like, why does finance exist? Why does engineering exist? I'll I'll add a
2: tidbit to that. It also explains what your cultural
0: dynamic is as well, right? Oh, very. uh, So I I really appreciate and applaud you bringing that up because one of the things that our 20 years of buyer research has uncovered is the centrality of understanding who you are and who they are and how you two can get together. Now, on some levels, that sounds incredibly obvious, but if you're in a B2B and you're selling a business tool to a business person and let's say you're you know in FPNA and you like you know FPNA and you know those people you used to be in that and now you're working with this company so like no we totally know this we 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 get the language we're just we're making products for ourselves by ourselves for for other folks who are like us so so the reason i told you the story about the version 11 before was because it was one of many examples that we have Mm -hmm. of where the the obvious answer on the inside is not the obvious answer on the outside and halfway through the story you're already saying oh wait a minute no i know the answer to this riddle so with with go to market there is a cultural shift that needs to occur that i think product marketing is the advocate for or needs to be which is to to go from thinking about the inside of your organization to be thinking about the inside of somebody else's organization. Because if you're in B2B, think about this, and this is a little meta here, you're within an organization that is creating a product that then goes within an organization that they're not buying for themselves. They're buying so that they can serve their customers who might even be other B two B companies, right? So right. we are facilitating the facilitator who facilitates the facilitation. You can play that back, especially if you need to go to sleep at, at night at some point. So, so really, what we're doing is actually a cultural transformation, mm-hmm. and it's translating this answer into somebody else's problem. Okay, but and one so of the things. Watch I, what I love
2: to use about this, Wayne, which. Yeah, sometimes gets blank stares. Is what job is your customer? It's similar to the one you said. If you weren't doing this work, what would you do? But it's another way of getting what job is your your customer slash buyer or user trying to perform? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to learn how to use your software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're trying to use your tool to do something greater, more important. And and to your point, it is it is the extension of that awareness that drives better, I think drives better messaging, better understanding, better positioning, a lot of other things. But I cut you off. You were you were going to tell me what's going to go into the go-to-market tent or what you thought was important to put in there.
0: Well, actually, I'll, I'll finish answering your short question with with a short story. It's also in the Persona book. And it's the story about the transformation of a company in healthcare, which is a really challenging category. We've worked in lots of different B2B categories. Healthcare is seriously serious. Don't get sick. The challenge for this company, which was a pump manufacturer, was that they had fallen out of favor and they needed to get back into the market. They needed to understand how hospitals were buying pump systems now at this point. So we did some persona research for them and um we identified the decision making unit and the dance that hospitals go through to make a decision and we did all that work that's now why i am telling you the story so that was part of their go to market was like how do we get in so you, you can't you don't know how to go to market until you understand how the market deals with you so so that's the first part of my answer but the second part was to listen with a be, with a beginner's ear with a beginner's mind. So we said to them, you know what? This is a funny thing, but in all this uh, in-depth qualitative work that we did, so that's the generally the way that we approach the world. It's not through large quant surveys that are not very useful, we'll politely say, but it's you know like in-depth one-hour conversations with a, a very small group of hand-picked prospects who we understand in great depth by the time that we're done and we said to you know to this client by the way after we got after we were talking with these folks there's a company that kept coming up in our conversation about using products like this how big are they and they said oh those guys they're like 2% of the market i said well hmm that's interesting they came up in like half of our conversations and not oh by the way they came up like oh by the way Something's going on here. We said, you know, I know this is self-serving, but if it were our business, we'd go find out what's going on there. And they said, okay, go do that. So we went and found those companies' customers and we interviewed them in depth, just like we had the other folks. And what came back was the reason that that 2% company was mentioned 50% of the time was their go-to-market implementation process. So. What they did and what they would talk about doing is not so much about their product because honestly, it's healthcare. Every pump needs to do what every other pump does. So it is is legally, it needs to be kind of like the same. Uh, So what they had decided and identified as an opportunity was to make a hero of their users. Who are the users of a pump in a hospital system? Anyone who's been in the hospital knows the nurses. Right, you've got to get the nurses on your side. How do nurses work? They work in three shifts, my friends. Mm-hmm. There's there's a day shift, there's an evening shift, and there's the oh my god, the the midnight shift. And if you're a B two B marketer and you're selling your product in and you're showing how it's going to make a difference and how it's going to get adopted and how it's then going to land and expand and your go-to-market is going to be to build. Once we get hundred pumps into this system, how do we get a thousand? What's the group that you overlook the midnight nurses, right? Which sounds like it ought to be a, a rock song, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, what they did was, and I'm summarizing a lot here in a, a apologize for the long story here. Hopefully it's, it's uh, it's of interest. But I'm just going to say, the answer is donuts. If you're a nurse on the night shift, and somebody comes in with donuts, and then tells you how their pump system works, they you are your, your attention, right? It, That's it is an inter- it. It's an interesting story
2: about, I think what's happening in our in our world of technology. And this may set some people on edge, the differentiation between one CRM system and another and another and another has shrunk dramatically in the last 15 years. In fact, I would submit that any one of them will do the job and it's a function of positioning and functionality. And those that are more recent will probably do a better job because they've learned on the layer of their 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 ancestors, so to speak. Back to that that analogy about being an anthropologist, right? We learn from the layers below us. And thinking more about, less about the product features, which you alluded to earlier, and more about the buyers and or users, and depending upon the market, it can be both, or one may be more important than the other, is where the gold is for our current B2B SaaS companies. It's focusing on those people who tip the scale from minimal acceptance to massive acceptance. And so that to me is the the, the, the gem that's in your story is focusing on, in that case, it's users who are, might be obscure in the broader scheme, but are actually pivotal to it. The only way you can do that, Wayne, you know this, is to go out and find these people, right? It's to go out and actually excavate to find out who these people are. I keep pushing on your, your analogy of, of anthropology. I want to bring us a little bit back to kind of center. And I want to ask a couple of questions. You've got a lot of rich background. I'm curious to know, in today's world, who are the people that you turn to and look to for inspiration, look to for insight, and, and why? And they can be in the industry or outside.
0: It doesn't really matter. Good question. I would say, I'm not going to answer in terms of a person, but I'm going to answer in terms of a theme. And it comes from what you were just saying, Mike. We're fortunately at the point where technology is less technical and more personal and more human. And so the good news is that we've lived long enough to get to the point where technology really helps solve human problems. And the problems that it's helping to solve these days are increasingly interactive or tribal issues. So if we think of a a company as a tribe, and the word company comes from the Latin compagna, which means to eat bread together. So just think about that. So companion and company come from the same idea of a tribe that works together. Mm-hmm. So what B2B SaaS technology is generally doing is trying to help those folks work together more effectively, more efficiently, more smoothly. Um, and so I would say the the... The things that I've been reading are about how people work together and just without the the veneer of technology, um, just what are the things that keep us together and push us apart, and how can we overcome that. And it's I, I'd say that theme, Mike, is unfortunately not only true within companies, but also within the larger construct of societies. And cultures yeah, sure. and and countries. So the nature of of human cooperation. You know, I love to 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 sell as human that kind of orientation. One of the things, uh, and I'll I'll over answer your question one one more way. One of the things that I'd say our twenty years of research has has uncovered that continually surprises and energizes me, and is not fully appreciated by, by B2B companies, mm-hmm. is that decisions are, these days, uh, of any significance, are never individual signi- uh, it's a, decisions. It's a tribal At decision, it's a community a decision, decision, for sure. for sure. And so, and here's the interesting thing from an anthropological perspective about that tribe. It is the hardest group of people that you could ever get together to make a decision. Why? because are they all from the same department? No, of course not. That would be silly. Why would you have like a whole bunch of people all from the same department? Any decision of any significance needs to involve, oh, let's say IT on the issue of whether it's uh, secure or not and and the interoperability Um, It needs to involve HR because people need to be hired and trained to be able to support this. It needs to be part of your workflow. So ops needs to be part of the decision like, yeah, no, we're never going to take the extra time to do this. So you can save five minutes on your thing. It's going to cost us an hour in the cost. So so there are no simple questions anymore in B2B SaaS. And so the ability to understand companies as cultures and as tribes and the humanity to recognize that we're all trying to make our days better is the the framework that I'd say uh, we use to understand how we can help our clients make their clients' lives better. One last question.
2: I'd like you and I'll call it a prediction. You can use whatever you want. I'm interested in your insight on where you see this going. So three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what stays the same? What improves?
0: What changes? Yeah. Well, it's a great closing question, Mike. Not sure I have a great answer in my humble opinion, or let's say over the last 20 years of, of uh, B2B marketing, I'd say, A lot of the tools have changed, but a lot of the issues haven't. We're still human. We still make the same stupid mistakes. It's a matter of awareness. It's a matter of organizational fluidity. I think it's a good thing that product marketing has kind of arisen. It's also a challenging thing in that now one person or one department becomes the focus of something that ought to be endemic across the organization across the tribe. So I'd say there are there's always new opportunities to do things in better ways, but there's always complications as well. So my non-answer to your really smart question is I kind of don't see things changing that much. I mean, we were talking about AI just the other day, and of course that's you know has does have the potential to be a huge change maker. And someone said recently that AI isn't going to replace marketing, but marketers who know AI are going to replace marketers who don't know AI, which I thought was a very profound sentence. Which which is what you're getting at, which is we need to stay on top of the tools, but the tools don't actually change the questions. Right. And I would say if I were extrapolating a prediction from
2: your non-prediction answer, it is that the skill sets for the players today will have to be uplifted dramatically, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. tool skill sets. It's insight. It's we'll call it soft skills. It's all of those elements that are going to more than likely form the basis for what happens next.
0: You know, and Mike, just building off that, and maybe a, a good summary is that what you've just pointed to is the increasing and, and rising um, need for and power of buyer insights to change the way business is done. Because, as you said it before, if all CRMs are essentially the same, what's the role of a salesperson? What's the role in, in customer success? How do you hold on to a customer? So, it becomes more of a human answer than yes. a product answer. And so, understanding who your buyers are is really critical and we've got lots of stories about how that makes a difference in the failure or success of b2b SaaS companies wayne well said great summary thank you for joining me today i really appreciate it enjoyed it thank you mike always love spending time with you and hope this is of some use to some of the folks who are listening i think it will be for sure
1: thank you for listening To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net. We'll see you next month on GTM Disrupted.